Hey everyone, it's Jen Maxfield. This week we're talking about news photographers. I write in more after the break about how reporters and photographers work closely together to get stories on the air and how we lean on each other for support during those tough days. The news partnership I write about most in more after the break is with Mark Abrahams, one of the longest serving photographers at Eyewitness News, whose career there started three weeks before I was born. Mark is my guest for this episode and also a note for listeners. I'm on the road this week and not in my normal studio. So apologies if my audio sounds a bit more hollow than usual. Mark, what made you interested in being a news photographer? How did you decide to get into the business? Well, it's funny because in college and even before college, I really wanted to be in front of the camera. I really enjoyed acting and all of that stuff. But I also really enjoyed living indoors and eating. So I decided that I was very, very, very technically adept and um, excelled with that. And I started when I graduated college in the business, working at Channel 11, went from Channel 11 to ABC in 77, uh, started April 9th in 77, worked for five weeks and then went on strike for 20, which was just loads of fun. Went back to Channel 11 then came back to ABC and I've been there ever since. I would imagine, I mean, you just mentioned that you started working at Eyewitness News as a photographer. I don't mean to date you here, but that was three weeks before I was born. And then fast forward, I'm 28 years old. You're a bit older than that when we were assigned to cover Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. I really look to you for advice and guidance on that assignment because you were so senior to me at the company. Can you talk about what that was like through the years where you're the senior photographer and you have new reporters coming in who have far less experience? It was a, it was a different world. And so I was always a people person. I always felt that, uh, as you know very well, I did a lot of stuff with humor because I felt that if the reporter had a good day, I'm going to have a good day. So I tried to make things as easy as possible. I got them whatever they needed, whatever they wanted. We got on the air, got off the air, and we went home safely. That is always priority number one. And it's funny that you say that about having the good day, because I always felt that way about the photographer. If the photographer is having a good day, then I'll be having a good day. And that does speak to this really important relationship between the reporter and the photographer where you are two halves of the same whole. And if you're both working well together, then the story is elevated because of your collaboration. Did you always find that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of, one of the things that was a constant, we knew the reporters, I guess for lack of a better phrase, that we wanted to work with. Okay, there were reporters who got it, who understood that we're a team and I guess Dave Ushery put it the best when somebody came up to him and asked him uh, a question about working in the news. He said, hey, without these guys, I'm in radio. And, you know, it's it was uh, it was truly a relationship. And we had people that we knew who thought they were above it all and they knew it all. I lived by the golden rule. I treated people the way that I expected to be treated. It didn't matter if they were homeless, if they were, you know, multi, multi billionaires. I treated them the way that I expected to be treated. And most of the time I got that back in return. I want to talk about Hurricane Katrina 
And if you could take me back to your mindset about the end of August 2005, we both got the call that we were being sent to the Gulf Coast. Hurricane Katrina had come through and they knew how bad it was. So here you and I go to cover the aftermath. Do you remember what was going through your head at that time and the frenzy of trying to get to the airport so quickly? I flew home, had called, called Merrill up and said, you know, do me a favor, you got to pack a bag, I'm leaving. And uh, got the bag, headed to the city, met you at the airport and just got bogged down going through security. So we ended up missing the flight. Um, ended up taking the later flight down to Mobile and then scurrying, got a vehicle, loaded everything up and started heading down. In the meantime, they lost your luggage. They lost one of my uh, bags that had, I think I had batteries, but I don't think I had too many extra tapes and some other equipment that we needed. So we were kind of bare bones when we got in the vehicle and we headed on down uh, from there. So we had to drive from Atlanta down to uh, uh, Mobile because we had to be live at five in the morning at Mobile. And in the meantime, you had no change of clothes or anything. So at 3.30 in the morning, there we were pulling into a Kmart parking lot. And I remember, again, like it was yesterday, you going, where has my life taken this turn that at 3.30 in the morning, I'm shopping for clothes at a Kmart in, in Montgomery, Alabama. And, uh, and you knew that was not the only part of the trip that was going to veer off the itinerary. Oh, no. No, I, I was surprised at some of the turns that it actually took because we got down to Mobile in time to do our live, um, did the live, and then had to go from there to uh, Gulfport. And I-10 was closed. And we ended up following a, uh, a reserve convoy down some rural road and just following them all the way to Gulfport. And we got to Gulfport, which was just devastated. Um, we went live at noon. And then from there had to start news gathering and the stuff we saw was just horrific. Because I this was- I think that the general public doesn't always have the appreciation that we as the news crew, we are living in the same conditions that we are reporting on. So if there's no water, and there are no bathrooms, and there's no power, that means we also don't have any of those things. Even though our situation is temporary, it does add that degree of difficulty to some of these trips covering severe weather, right? Absolutely. I mean, we always end up in that type of situation. You know, people used to ask a lot, well, you know, you're out in the, out in the street all day long. What'd you use as a bathroom? And I used to use that ever-famous line, we rely on the kindness of strangers and uh you know dunkin donuts mcdonald's whatever would be open but when you're covering a disaster like this there's nothing open you know we got lucky the next day waffle house opened and as did uh the mobile airport so we knew that they had power and we ended up in luck in that situation but the first day we were down there first uh 24 hours were pretty horrific you know, when we went cruising around uh, for the five and the six, the things that we found, and we knew we had to get back to the Gulfport area because that's where the sat truck was and everything else. Um, there was a lot of time constraint and a lot of sifting through, but there was certainly limitless video to shoot 
and certainly limitless victims to speak to. I always so. feel like on those assignments that no matter what we do, no matter how much video we get, no matter how many interviews we do, it's impossible to convey the scope and the broadness of the disaster to the viewer at home, because it just went on for mile after mile. Everywhere we went, it was a disaster zone. Well, when you remember uh, making that turn along, along, it was called either Shore Boulevard or Shore Road, and we passed that church that had half of itself blown away. So you could see inside the church, and there was the hanging uh, choir loft just suspended in midair and how many homes we passed that were nothing but concrete stairs and nothing else. It was, you know, you try to get as much as you can pictorially, but it still doesn't compare to what you see in person. And it doesn't compare to the, the, emotional, the emotional aspect of it either. You know, it's not just the victims. We're human too. And I remember speaking to one of the women um, it was where her house used to be, but it was almost like you were standing in a forest because there was nothing else around. And she was scavenging through the wreckage and trying to pick out pictures. And she was in tears and you were in tears and I'm behind the camera in tears because it's just, you say to yourself there, but for the grace of God, go I. And that's one thing the business always taught me was as bad as you think you've got it somebody's always got it a million times worse. And that was absolutely one of the cases. We get to go home. They don't. I could not agree with you more on that fact. And I, I wonder if you feel the way I do sometimes on these assignments where as I understand that we're bringing the story to the larger audience and that's so important, but it is really hard to leave people sometimes and not be able to help them in a more direct and immediate way. And, and I do feel a sense of sadness and even guilt sometimes when we get our interview and we get all the video we need and, and then we leave. How do you feel in those situations? Well, the easiest way to answer that is how, how much of our own personal supplies did we give away? You know, we had water that we picked up. We had cheese and crackers that we picked up. And we gave all that stuff away because after we ended up finding a hotel and food, we didn't really need that stuff anymore. And these people had nothing. I remember being just phenomenally ticked off at the fact that, and I understood the premise of it, but you had Outback and a couple of other companies that had come down there to help and feed the first responders, but they set it up in the middle of the street out in front of City Hall roped it off, you know, barricaded it off so that only first responders could get out, get into it. And they're grilling up steaks and hamburgers. And these people have nothing, nothing. And I remember saying something to one of the officials there, put it up on the roof or something. This isn't right, but these are the things that go on. And you, you really, you really feel for the, for the people, you really feel for the victims. You know, like I said, we thankfully always have gotten to go home to our families and to our safe, dry homes in one piece. They didn't. That's a, it's a rough emotional trip. It really is. Is there anything that you've done over the years to 
try to cope with some of the emotional strain that these stories put on us? Uh, unfortunately, that's how my career kind of ended. Um, I mean, we had um, Superstorm Sandy. And in Superstorm Sandy, uh, Darla Miles and myself and Ardina, Ardina Seward, who is one of our also longtime photographers, who've been there over 40 years, got trapped in Coney Island. And uh, Ardina got separated from us, ended up alone in the height of the storm on the boardwalk. Uh, and Darla and I waded through chest high water in Coney Island, most of which was probably sewer water, uh, with transformers blowing up around us. God forbid one line had separated and come down, we were done. Uh, and luckily some people at the corner of uh, uh, Mermaid and, uh, and West 19th Street heard Darla screaming, came down and opened up the, the apartment front door and let us in. At the height of the storm, we could see the truck from where we were on the fourth floor. And at the height of the storm, the water was up to the roof of the truck. Um, it was already up to the landing between the first and second story in this building. So things, things were a mess. And, uh, you know, we were lucky to make it out of there. I think sometimes, Mark, that after all these years, of covering all these chaotic and tumultuous situations, we almost lose that, that sense of, oh, this is really weird, or this is kind of crazy what we're doing. We just get so accustomed to doing it under these circumstances. Did you feel that you got numb to that sort of thing? And that, and that when crazy things were happening, you, it all felt very familiar to you? Well, you became numb to a lot of things. You had to, because you're living it's it's not quite like like the life of a doctor or a, or a police officer but your job is 24/7 7 days a week you you see things that a lot of people don't get to see you see some great things close up and you see some pretty horrific things close up so you kind of become numb to certain aspects of it um and again you use humor to kind of push it out of your mind, a lot of inappropriate humor to push it out of your mind, but you have to, because if you take it personally and you let it get into your system, you can lose your mind. You really can. And thankfully, I know you never did and I never did lose your empathy because if you lose that, then you're really sunk. But it, it's, a, it's a rough job. People don't realize, people think it's all all glamorous and, you know, movie stars and famous people. And I used to say to people all the time as I'd be wrapping up a live shot or some big event that we've covered and you pull in, you know, cables that you've taped down to the street and this and that and the other through, through rain and mud. And they go, wow, you're in TV. And I go, yeah, glamorous, isn't it? You know, because it's just people don't really get to see what we get to see. And they think that it's all easy and glamour and catering trucks. And, you know, that may be for the network. It's not for us. Did you ever feel that the photographers and you in particular didn't get enough credit for all the work you were doing? 
uh, and you know, reporters like me, our name is out there, our face is on camera, but really we are just half of the process because we're working with a photographer who has our back throughout that whole story. Did you ever feel like you, you were not acknowledged in a way that you should have been? Again, it depended on the person you were working for. I wasn't looking for acknowledgement. I wasn't looking to be out in front anymore. But there were times, you know, depending on the person, the either the reporter or the producer that you were working with, um, where you'd, you would need that person to kind of have your back. And normally, uh, most reporters would have your back by grabbing the back of your pants and guiding you so that you don't trip and fall or you don't bump into somebody else, get hurt. And uh, the only time that I would really feel that way was when I didn't have that. And as it got later on into the business, yeah, you were kind of on your own. That's what we mean when we say we have each other's backs. Sometimes we literally have each other's backs when you're walking backwards and I don't want you to trip on the sidewalk. Yeah, I mean, those are the important things that you need to know because it's not all walking forward or standing on a, standing with a tripod and shooting. There's a lot of things that go into getting a news story that people don't see and they don't understand. And especially nowadays when people, people are screaming, you know, fake news, and there's a lot of good reason for them to scream fake news. But, you know, we're, we're the guys behind the camera. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's not us, folks. It's not us. But it's a matter of you've got all kinds of hazards out there. And all the times that we would go to cover, you know, fires or murders and things like that. And these people lost their families. And you've got to go and talk to them. And a lot of times, depending on where you are, they can be pretty hostile. So your negotiating skills have to be good and your negotiating skills have to be proper and considerate. Or it might be one of those days that you don't go home. So I'm there's, glad there's... that you brought up going to people's, uh, you know, walking into people's lives on these days. You were such a huge part of the research for my bookmark. And I wonder now having been featured in the book and having read more after the break, if it made you think back to some other stories that you had covered that you find unforgettable and stories where you'd be interested to know what wound up happening to the people. Do you still think about some of the people you interviewed over the years and wonder what happened to them? Absolutely. Um, one that pops right into my mind because it wasn't that long ago. You probably remember a story going back at this point, I guess maybe about five years ago, where we were having a series of machete murders around the city. And the cops had arrested a kid that they suspected as, as the uh, machete murderer. And he turned out not to be the person. And nobody ever retracted it. They just, as they do nowadays, they just went on to the next item. And uh, Kimberly and I were in, not Astoria, but um, the area adjacent to Long Island City where Amazon was going to uh, put, their, put their facility and AOC had screwed that whole thing up. So we were in, in there, they had had a press conference and we were going live. At that point in time, we were the only crew there. Just as we're getting ready to go live, these two kids, big kids, come walking over. And I see them approaching and I just go, 
getting ready to go live. And the one kid goes, you know, that's not our problem. And I, you know, Kimberly's not panicking. She's trying to go through her intro. And I walked away from the camera. I locked it down. And I went over and I started to talk to him. And it turned out to be the kid who was accused and a friend of his. And rather than there being trouble again, I did what I always do. I treat people the way I expect to be treated. I talked him off the ledge and told him, you know, give me your info and I'll make sure that we refer back to the story and you get some calls and get this stuff cleared up. He said, it ruined my life. I'm so, I said, I'm sure it was, but it wasn't us. We didn't do this to you. Okay. But whoever it was, we'll get it taken care of. And they walked away and I had diffused the situation. But these are the types of situations that you go through. And I always wonder how he made out, if he was able to get his life back on track after that. And, you know, just a million and one different stories where you see these, these people get stabbed and people get shot and fires where people have lost their, their entire family. The, the time that uh, nine people, nine children died in that fire in the Bronx. You know, you've got all kinds of stories and you wonder how these people made out afterwards. And the same thing with, you know, with Sandy, how all the people out in Staten Island and other parts of Jersey made out, you know, still trying to get their homes rebuilt with the, uh, the red tape they had to go through with the government and insurance companies who didn't want to pay out and everything else. And you, you feel for people, but that goes back to what I said before with, for the grace of God go we. We've led very, very fortunate lives in a business that's fairly callous, but we cover the reality of life. And then you get to go back home. A lot of good memories. But I guess the best memory is we got to go home at night. I could not agree more with that. Um, for the last question, I'm going to ask you to address any younger journalists who are listening to this, aspiring journalists, someone who wants to be a photographer just like you, and, and you have 40 plus years of experience. Do you have any words of wisdom or advice to pass along based on your incredible career? What I used to tell people all the time, editors and shooters, these aren't bar mitzvah videos. It's being aware, it's seeing things, noticing things, getting them. The job is just as much luck as it is skill. And facts being what they are, we always said, I'd rather be lucky than good because sometimes you get the shot and sometimes you don't. But it's always good to have the skills on your side so that you know what it is you're going for. But whatever you decide to do, if you decide to be a photographer, learn and hone your skill. Be the best photographer you can be. If you're going to be a reporter, write, 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 write. You said before that you always wanted to treat people they, the way you wanted to be treated. So for anyone who's listening to this, who's already in the business and is committed to being in the business, is there any emotional advice or, or even just ethical advice that you can offer on how to interact with the general public? There are two main things. Number one, if you're the person behind the camera or if you're the reporter, always keep in the forefront of your mind. What if this was me or my family? Would I want somebody running over to me after I've just lost somebody and sticking a mic in my face and saying, how do you feel? Well, how do you think I feel? So always try to consider 
the opposite if it was you at that point in time. And for the people out there listening who see a crew, we're not America's funniest home videos. We're covering news, and most of the time it's bad news. So if you see a news crew and a reporter going live, it's not funny and it's not cool to stand in the back and wave like an idiot or to come up and yell in their ear or, you know, baba booey or whatever else it is. We're doing a job. And I'm sure that if you have a job sitting at a desk and we came up behind you and acted like a jerk, your boss wouldn't like it either. Our boss doesn't either. So be considerate on both ends. We're all people. We all have to get along. We all have jobs to do. Just try and remember that. Well, Mark, I consider myself very fortunate to have worked with you for so many years at Eyewitness News, and I did always feel like we had each other's back, and I'm thankful for your friendship and for the time you spent with me putting together more after the break and being such a great source of information for that. So I just thank you so much, and it's been so wonderful speaking with you today. Anytime, Jen. It's always been great seeing you and talking to you. Thanks for listening to more after the break. I'm Jen Maxfield, and I hope you will subscribe and keep listening. More after the break. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.